Welcome to Backroom Talk. We're here today talking about behaviors. Yeah, it's a hard bias to uh, lose the emphasis on exercise because it's what coaches know, it's what they're most comfortable prescribing, and a lot of the times it's what the market is expecting. Losing body fat. So when we talk about you know maintaining a caloric deficit, the first thing that we have to look at, or the first thing we can look at, is the person should be consistently moving. You often get people that come in they wanna they want to improve their body composition. They want to lose some body fat. They also want to put, put lean mass on at the same time. I'm throwing this one at you, Carl. Can you do both at the same time? To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another week of Backroom Talk. We're here today talking about behaviors and fitness goals. Mm-hmm and how those two connect. And we're gonna stay away from exercise, which is kind of crazy. Are we really? Well, I think we're hitting uh, no, on we'll, it a we'll little some, bit. We'll hit some considerations. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But we're but not, it's not like... It's not exercise focused. It's not nuts and bolts. We're talking about the stuff for the most part that's probably more important when yeah. it comes to fitness results. Look, exercise is important. People yeah, have yeah. to train if they wanna you know, achieve these specific goals and outcomes, but uh, there's a lot of other stuff that needs to be lined up with that. Yeah, it's more back room or back not back room, <laughs> back round talk and yeah. exercise, right? Like also consider these things. So yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we dive straight in or is there anything else you want to say about behavior? Um, no, I think, uh, I think just having a conversation to start on, you know, the importance of the importance on, of lifestyle and behavior, um, as it relates to just like health, wellness and goals. Um, and I think we mentioned it probably 10 episodes ago. I think we talked about lifestyle considerations or something like that. But I think what we propose, it's like, hey, what if we considered lifestyle and behavior more important than exercise? Um, so I think that's something that we need to keep like challenging coaches with where it's like, don't worry so much about, you know, A, B and C in the exercise program. Worry about A, B and C in the lifestyle program and like what that can be and kind of putting that on the forefront. Yeah, it's a hard bias to uh, lose the emphasis on exercise because it's what coaches know, it's what they're most comfortable prescribing, and a lot of the times it's what the market is expecting from the coach, right? Yeah. And so everyone really, you know, puts exercise on a pedestal because they're just not like really sure mm-hmm. how to approach this lifestyle behaviors piece. Um, but I think what we propose is how to actually do that. We try and give coaches a system uh, and like an actual platform through Coach RX to be able to deliver these things just like they would exercise with the same amount of emphasis as, uh, you know, as exercise and uh, communicating to their clients that both of these things have to line up and like that expectation from the front is that this fitness program probably isn't, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like you might get some results, but it's going to be massively limited if we're not actually looking after these areas. So we need to be talking about all of them. Yeah, I kind of look at it. Um, Dale Carnegie actually, uh, are you familiar? Yeah. Um, how he, he talked about skills mm-hmm. and we have soft skills and we have hard skills. Soft skills being like you have the ability to communicate, build relationships, uh, you have empathy, so on and so forth. Hard skills. It's like I'm really good at this one thing. I'm really good at measuring. I'm really good at understanding metrics. I'm really good at pushing that whole thing forward. And what he proposed was because the typical, typically people think, okay, I need to have soft skills after I establish my hard skills where what he proposed, he's like, no, 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 having really good soft skills is actually on the forefront. And then you build your hard skills after that. So I think exercise design is more of a hard skill where it's like, you can measure it. I think that's why coaches are so drawn to it because it's like, you know, did we get better from this session to this session? I can just look at times and load and and so on and so forth. And we can just measure that thing. So it's just so simple because it's measurable. And I think those same coaches look at lifestyle prescriptions and, and behaviors as soft skills where it's like, I need to get really good at designing exercise programs. And then I'll figure all that other shit out instead of you know, saying, I want to get really good at building relationships, changing people's lifestyles and behaviors, and then, you know, adding exercise as like a background thing. Um, so I think a lot of coaches look at exercise as a, as a hard skill that must be established first. Yeah, but I, I think you can prescribe both of those things in a similar way where there is measurement around it. And in creating a new habit or behavior, you have to give people something tangible that they can do and that they can say, 
yes or no, I was or was not able to do this thing today. And there's always been a vagueness. It's like, Mm -hmm. go out and get some sunshine. Eat healthier foods. It's good to eat vegetables. Um, Make sure that you're getting adequate protein throughout the day. But often there's not like a simple and a straightforward way for people to measure those things. And often there's not specific behaviors that are attached to making sure that you're eating a healthy diet, quote unquote. Like, what does it actually mean (laughs) to eat a healthy diet? So, uh, yeah, helping coaches reframe those soft skills as like a little bit more of a hard skill and thinking Mm. about how can we make it measurable and repeatable just like exercises. Yeah, it's a big piece, right? It's like, how do you actually, how do you tangibly say, hey, Georgia, do this today. And then at the end of the week, we have an understanding of did you do those things or not? I think historically what coaches have done is they did do it. They were like, hey, this is what I want you to do in lifestyle and behavior. And they didn't just, they just didn't have a really good way to measure it. So it was like, they'd get to, you know, four weeks down the road and then the conversation would resurface and be like, Oh, did you do those things that we talked about four weeks ago? And it was like, well, I did it for the first couple of days. And then I kind of just got off track and then life happened. And then the coach is like, okay, well, let's try that again. Right. So they try the same thing over and over and over with no success. So they just eventually forget about it and then they focus on exercise because that's so easy to look at and view and uh, understand if there was success there or not. So um, like you mentioned with the Coach RX piece, it's like that's the problem we're attempting to solve. I don't think we've solved it quite yet. Um, I I still think we have a a ways to go. Um, And I think the only reason I say that is because coaches need to be really bought into that idea of, you know, you have to look at what you're prescribing in lifestyle and you have to look at that with the same eye or even, you know, more of a, a sharper eye than you look at exercise. Yeah, definitely. And and again, what I've found um, with Coach RX and with lifestyle prescriptions inside of there is, look, there's some people that are just the kind of client that they're going to fill everything out and, and they keep track of everything on exercise and the lifestyle stuff. But there's some people that that's like not a natural behavior for them. And mm-hmm. like maybe they've like just established it in exercise where they log their workouts in coach rx like inconsistently perhaps um but they're not yet at the point where they're making they have the value around doing the same thing for lifestyle and that comes back to consistent conversation over and over and over again and you know hammering on the importance of doing that but i know like for example i have clients who are just bad at filling out their lifestyle piece because it's that's not a behavior we've created yet and the precedent we set was not doing that stuff on a daily basis. So it's a little bit of like, you know, backpedaling, undoing bad behaviors around there and just creating new ones. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's talk. Um, I know like we've got three initially, uh, three goals or outcomes that your typical gen pop person might come to a gym uh, with. And, you know, maybe there are some athletes that would have these goals as well, uh, connected to some performance outcomes. But the three we're going to start with and we'll break them down. I think down. actually 99% of people have these, they're yeah. looking for these three outcomes. Yeah, I'd say so. And probably some combination of all of them. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the well, time. And, yeah, and there's a lot of connectivity between between some of them as well, right? There definitely is. Because you don't want to go so far with one and leave the other behind. Yeah. Um, just on the energy piece. Yes. Yep. So uh, losing body fat, Yep. gaining muscle, and feeling great, feeling good. Mm-hmm. Just general well-being. So those are the three we're going to talk about initially, and we're going to lay out the habits and behaviors that are important for each of them and why, and talk about some examples as well connected to those. So let's uh, let's start with fat loss. Cool. Let's do it. The good old um, goal of fat loss. Yeah. Yeah. The way I wanted to look at these was, uh, you know, we have, we have this goal and then it's like, what are some, what are some outcomes inside of that goal? that need to happen or that would help a person get to that goal. And then with that outcome, what are the behaviors inside of that outcome that would lead to it? So that's kind of how my brain organized that. And it was probably because of uh, what you guys did with like that flow chart. And that's now it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think that, that, uh, that's where my head is with that. So when looking at, um, losing body fat, if the, if the goal is to maintain a consistent, the goal should be to main, maintain a consistent caloric deficit. Yep. That's the goal, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a lot of other things that are inside of it, but that's like the main goal or outcome within um, losing body fat. 
So when we talk about, you know, maintaining a caloric deficit, the first thing that we have to look at, or the first thing we can look at is, uh, let's make it easy and talk about exercise first, and then we'll get into all the things outside of exercise. The person should be consistently moving in exercise. So that could be in resistance, that could be in aerobic work, whatever that is. So that would be that first outcome that comes to mind is you just need to move your body. Yeah. If uh, someone is doing no activity uh, at all or is highly inactive, that's a whole lot of energy that is not being expended. And when we're thinking about having someone in a caloric deficit, you can totally have someone sit at a chair all day and just pull calories really low. But number one is that what we do as fitness coaches and like what we think is healthy. No, we think that there are a lot of outcomes from exercise that are not just fat loss. So there are other reasons to move as well. But secondarily, uh, I think it feels better to uh, do some activity and then pull back calories, not to such a drastic extent as you would have to if someone is just laying in it, you know, in their bed all day yeah. and trying to lose fat doing that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the behavior that, you know, a coach needs to help a client, uh, you know, get to or determine as it relates to exercise, they need to help them build uh, a type of fitness or a fitness program and a schedule that allows consistency. I think that's it, right? It's like, that's the behavior that needs to be worked on between the coach and the client. What days are we going to do this exercise and what are we going to do inside of this exercise? And those two considerations are going to lead to, are we, are we going to be able to do this consistently over a long period of time? Because I think the main point in the caloric deficit piece is you want to maintain it over a long period of time, right? Like you don't want to do it, like you're saying, so drastically where it's like, you know, we're at a 600 calorie per day deficit and we're going to do that. Let me get even more, um, uh, you know, polar. Uh, We're going to go a thousand calorie per day deficit because we want to lose five pounds in three weeks, right? It's like, that's, that's a little bit aggressive, right? So the goal isn't the goal shouldn't be that it shouldn't be super aggressive. It should be, what can we do over a longer period of time? So when I say longer with fat loss, I'm thinking like eight to 12 weeks Yeah. because you don't want to be in caloric deficits for months and months and months and months without having some kind of break to let your body come back to normal. Yeah. Um, I also think on the other flip side of exercise, if you're doing it in a way that is so intense and so challenging that you're not going to be able to extend that out for eight to 12 weeks and, you know, realistically the exercise piece forever, uh, that's going to be problematic too. Cause I look at, gosh, um, back at my, uh, old gym, there was a boot camp, a VIP boot camp that was like just, uh, down the street from where we were. And they sold this, it was like 60 or 90 days transformation, transformation package where I think you paid like 500 bucks up front and, Essentially, if you lost a certain amount of weight, your goal weight, uh, you got your money back. And the exercise practices that they were having these people do were not sustainable at all. And it was like this essentially how much weight can we lose in this short period of a time approach where the more hold on, exercise. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I can't wrap my head around this business model. So... It's crazy. Well, no one, no one loses <laughs> the weight. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Hold on. VIP VIP bootcamp is saying that yep. if you reach your goals, you yep. will pay nothing. Exactly. And then I think that they had the option to, to like roll the $500 into like ongoing membership if, if people wanted okay. to. But here's the problem is it's such an intense approach and it's such like, like losing 20 pounds in 60 days. That's fucking aggressive. People are so burnt out by the end of the 60 days. Unless you're 800 pounds. Well, that's, this is true. <laughs> yeah. This is true. But yeah, that's yeah. that's not the demographic they were talking yeah. to. They were talking to, you know, middle-class moms who had a little bit of extra weight that they needed to lose and thought that punishing themselves through exercise was the uh, right approach to do so. But we actually got a lot of those people coming over to yeah. us after because they'd like kind of check out what they were doing as yeah, they yeah. were running past looking miserable. Um, <laughs> we called it, this is, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole, but they look like zombies. These people looked really, really just so sad and like zombies running and walking laps around the building, um, trying to lose their, lose their weight to get the money back. Yeah. It's that biggest loser uh, <sighs> story, right? Yeah. Is that show still on? I don't know. I, I Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you see that it's it's the same thing, right? It's like you you attack this thing so aggressively, where there's your body actually cannot cons- uh, sustain it, and your body's in that mode where it's like, I need to get to a point where I can preserve myself because I'm dying. 
So, you know, those, you know, some of those people would lose just crazy amounts of weight. Like some of them would lose 50, 60, 100, 150 pounds in weeks, like eight weeks. And then they, you know, get sent off on their own and it's like, okay, now figure it out. And their bodies are like in this preservation mode and they're so used to eating this amount of calories and exercising this much. And obviously these people can't sustain that on their own, especially, um, and they, they go over calorically and they go under exercise wise and their body's like, ah, okay. And then just puts on all that weight, right, right, right back on. So I think that's probably the story that, you know, places like that would see when they approach it with that, uh, non-sustainable approach where it's just like your, your body is a, a really intelligent thing and it's going to do what it has to do to survive. Yeah. Oh, so sustainability, that's, yeah. uh, that's and exercise. really the piece yeah, of yeah. exercise. Mm-hmm. So what else? What other uh, behaviors? Okay. So, so that one was, um, consistent exercise. And then yes. the, the other one inside of maintain a consistent caloric deficit would be increased non-exercise movement. Yep. Um, so ideas would be walks, map 10, outdoor recovery, standing and sitting at a one-to-one ratio instead of sitting all day. Um, and I say one-to-one because it's just as bad to stand up all day as it is to sit down all day for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people complain of, uh, uh, issues with that. So, um, not biasing the, the standing over the sitting. For sure. And I mean, this, this like neat piece is so location dependent and culture dependent. And that's mm-hmm. something I've really come to observe with people, uh, living in like growing up in Sydney where public transport and walking around and like being outdoors and walking from your house up to the local shops is the norm. I look at my parents and they actually do quite a lot of neat. Uh, and that's like their saving grace, right? <laughs> that mm-hmm. they uh, are able to get outside, that walking is a part of culture, um, going on a bushwalk, going for a swim. That's just like stuff that people do. They get out, they garden, they work in the in the city. So they're like walking around the city from the train station. They get that movement. And then I went to live in Detroit and in Detroit, no one walks Mm -hmm. and everyone drives from A to B and it's so cold part of the year that you wouldn't even want to walk down to your mailbox, let alone, uh, you know, go on a walk around the block for 15 minutes. So as a coach, you start to think neat has to look different for different people, depending on where they are. And let's think about, you know, middle of the winter in Michigan, (laughs) you're not getting someone outside to take a walk uh, in minus 15 with like, you know, two feet of snow. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Yep. So how in that environment can we help people put neat into their life? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's easy just to say that, right? I think it's easy to say that. I've, I've spent a lot of years in a lot of, not a lot of, a few different really cold places. Um, there's, there's really no excuse unless you're, unless you are, unless you're, it's in the, the middle of a blizzard and it's like, Hey, I can't get out. But that's not day to day for most people, depending on where those people live. Um, even when we lived in Alaska, right? Like we still got out and moved quite, quite frequently in the winter time. So I don't, I don't really buy that. That's a, an excuse for people because there's things that people can do outside when it's cold, when there's like, we have protective uh, equipment that we can put on to protect ourselves and stuff like that. So I think we just have to uh, do a little bit of research as a coach as to where that person lives and what they have available around them. If someone's absolutely not willing to go outside in the winter, it's like, hey, maybe you should move, <laughs> right? Because it's just not healthy as a human being to sit inside of your house for six months every year. It's like, maybe you shouldn't live in that place if you can't go outside and enjoy the outdoors. Um, that's what I did. Um if if that's not the case, if they don't have the ability to move, of course, obviously that's like that's 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 extremely radical. Um, then just figure out other ways to move, right? It's like you can be indoors and still move your body. Um, it's not always you know steps, and that's like the guiding light. It's like got to get eight thousand steps every single day, and if we don't, it's a failure. That's not always the thing, but I think uh, as a coach, you just have to do some research and look at uh, what people have. Uh, around them yeah definitely and if uh, for whatever reason someone's not able to get outside for a regular walk or not willing to maybe the conversation is let's let's get you a treadmill or a bike that you can have at home and mm-hmm. you can spin in front of the tv while you while you wind down at night yeah yeah so just finding other strategies for that yeah i think optimally it, it is getting people outside though figuring out a way to get people outside yeah. like you know you hear it in big cities like you know we ha- we had a call a couple months ago and we we're talking to um adam and and riverdale and that's they're in new york city 
and uh, we asked the question like, hey, what do you what do you guys do for outdoor activity in New York City? And he's just like, you just gotta you just gotta get uh you just gotta get creative. And there's like this big trend of like urban hiking right now that a lot of people are doing in big cities. Um, but you could do a version of that no matter where you are. I mean, I I don't think it's a huge deal that everyone else around you isn't out walking. It's like you can still go outside and walk. Um, yeah, I, I I just think we have to try to get people outside for sure and figuring out like what kinds of activities they enjoy because mm-hmm. uh, you know on the one hand it might be that uh, urban adventuring and hiking on the other hand someone could enjoy gardening and mm-hmm. that's uh, what gets them outside someone might like to go and do nature photography so how can you connect outdoor experiences with what that person really enjoys doing because if I told my husband Jacob that he needed to go and work in the garden for an hour uh, to get some movement he'd roll his eyes at me but on the other hand if uh, I passed him his camera and told him you know let's go walk around downtown and like see what people are out and about and doing and take some street photography he'd be on board and that's awesome neat like getting out and walking and crouching down Mm -hmm. Uh, so it just looks a little different for everyone yeah and challenge clients to try new things as well right it's like maybe sit down in a consult and lay out you know five opportunities to move a little bit more outside and just, you know, it's a goal to try each one of those things, you know, over each of the next five weekends. It's like the goal is to try this and then try this and then try this and then try and then recap at the end of that. And it's like, which one or two or three of those things did you really enjoy that we can actually put inside of your program? Yeah. Um, because as fitness coaches, it's, it's one thing to say to do something, but it's, I think it's more powerful to agree with a client that that's what you're going to do and then prescribe it to them yeah definitely so there's some accountability there yeah arriving at the uh arriving at the strategy that you're gonna be impl- in that you're gonna be implementing together mm-hmm. I think that's always a, a better way to go about it yep. when you're trying to make it work with their life absolutely what about uh considerations for neat for someone that's bound to a desk for an office worker is there anything uh anything there yeah i think um I think it's, I think it's the same thing, right? It's like, uh, you know, lay out, lay out an ideal day of opportunities to get in some movement and get away from the desk. Um, just what we know about work. I mean, no one's sitting down for eight hours and, and, uh, you know, rolling forward with really high quality work. Everyone needs breaks. Um, you know, challenge people to, you know, finish something at, you know, maybe it's before lunch, they go for a walk. Maybe it's after lunch. Maybe it's after they finish this task or that task. Maybe you can have them take some of their meetings on the phone instead of on a webcam and they can, you know, walk around outside while they take those meetings. Um, Yeah, I think you just have to look at everyone's individual situation and try to find ideas of of how can we incorporate more more movement in your day. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I think neat is, uh, or just moving your body outside of exercise. I think that's extremely underutilized. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy. You can burn, you can burn a decent amount of energy just by going for walks and people don't understand. They'd rather take food away than go for a walk. It's like, you know, like it's like, (laughs) Hey, just like, let's, let's be really patient with the, with the calories. Let's not try to like, you know, get into that deficit by taking away all of your food. Instead, let's just move your body right in a sustainable way. And going on walks is extremely sustainable for most people. Yeah. So I think uh, it's underutilized. Definitely. And just, uh, I guess to backtrack, NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So um, the energy someone would be burning through not exercise in the gym, through walking, uh, you know, through taking the stairs instead of the elevator, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Just wanted to make sure we're all, everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah, good one. That's why, (laughs) how did I describe it? I said uh, movement outside of the gym. That's just what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the the last piece that I, I think is important is, um, avoiding hormonal disruption. Yep. So, um, you know, not trying to fit alcohol into your macros cause that's not the way the body works. Right. Um, you know, what does alcohol do? It's, it's, it's a poison, right? I'm not like, uh, vilifying alcohol and saying, don't touch it. But if your goal is to lose body fat and that's really important to you, you probably shouldn't be putting poison inside of your body. That's going to disrupt your metabolism. Certainly. Um, you know, smoking is also something that that will disrupt hormones and hormonal function and metabolism for some people it's actually a good thing for some people it increases for others it it decreases um stress and considerations around stress and uh 
you know, what's on your mind and how, how much sleep you get and, and all of those things. So just thinking about just basic lifestyle pieces that we always talk about and how you can't forget about those things. Because when we look at, um, cause that, that remember the goal is to maintain a caloric deficit mm-hmm. over a long period of time. A caloric deficit isn't just, well, it is calories in and calories out, but calories in and calories out is so complex and complicated. No one understands it really. Yeah. Um, especially the calories out piece. So how many calories we're burning on a daily basis, quote unquote. Um, there's a lot of considerations that go into that. Um, I'll just I'll just stop there. It is calories in and calories out, but there's a lot to it. Yeah, and uh, all of those pieces that can disrupt hormone production can have effect have an effect on that metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, um, even with. Uh, you know, some, some women that try, I say women just because, uh, women are a little bit more sensitive to, you know, not eating, um, uh, hormonally and metabolically, even a woman trying like, uh, you know, an extended fasted fasting window that can actually disrupt metabolic function a lot. Right. So you would think, okay, we're going to look at calories in calories out. Um, we're going to, you know, shorten that window that they can actually consume calories so in theory they should be getting less calories if they don't have like you know um uh that like binge eating uh piece inside of their mind with like i have to make up um but that's not always the issue because there's some disruption that can occur in not eating and being in that starvation mode over a longer period of time when you start to look at you know estrogen and progesterone and what happens when a woman is starving like that shit just stops. Everything stops, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why it stops is because the the woman's body wants to protect itself. And it's like, hey, I can't bear a child right now because my body is in starvation mode. I need to stop all of this product, production. And you get some women that are like, well, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have a period. But there's other things that come along with menstruation. Um, metabolic rates are increased uh, when, a, when a woman is in menses. Um, energy recoverability from exercise, all of that plays all of that thing plays a huge role in, in everything. So considerations around, you know, not being really hungry over longer periods of time is, is, and I'm not saying fasting is bad for women, but keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd also just think about, uh, talking about the caloric deficit pace, looking at a week in entire entirety and making sure people have good rhythm from Monday through Sunday, not just Monday through Friday, because it's very easy for someone to have this, uh, to be in this great caloric deficit from Monday through Friday when everything is in alignment, when they wake up and they go to the gym and they go to work for this amount of hours and then they have their post-work routine and they go to bed at a certain time and their food is all prepped. Like that, that part tends to be more straightforward, but then you introduce the chaos that can be the weekend, social pressures, um, maybe feelings of I was restricted all week and I need to, you know, do something to make up for that because I deserve it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you look at like those two days and what Saturday and Sunday can do if they're not in alignment with Monday through Friday. And those really have the ability to throw off all of the, uh, you know, all of the structure and the deficit that was in place for those five days. So helping people find some rhythm throughout the week and that's not to say that saturday needs to look like a work day and you have to like you know spend eight hours at your desk and do exactly this and you can't go out to eat you certainly can do those things as well but how can we bring you know things closer to the middle where we do have consistency in intake uh, in movement in sleep schedule and in everything else and just in priorities mm-hmm. monday through sunday as well yeah was that a question not really oh, just okay. a statement the the Australian thing you end I, you end and it always sounds like a question I'm like I don't know you just told me your name if I had a dollar for every time you asked me if that was a question I don't, in fairness sometimes I don't know yeah. what my name is no I mean yeah look at I, I look at weekends as as opportunities for a lot of people because they have control over yeah. their day like they don't have to be at the desk they don't have to be in the office that's an opportunity to maybe go out and move a little bit more mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to um, you know I think people should have an opportunity to be a little bit looser, quote unquote, with their food. Um, I don't think we have to and realize we haven't talked about tracking macros at all in this conversation. Yeah. We're just talking about like, you know, things to do intuitively. So, you know, with that being the case, it's like I think it's okay if someone isn't naturally a more caloric deficit 
throughout the week than they are on the weekend just because they do see it as an opportunity to just like enjoy food a little bit more uh but i have to be i have to like be in keep keep in line with like the goal is to lose body fat for this person so you know there has to be assessments that happen week over week over week and just see if progress is happening so if someone is really loose on the weekends and they're really tight on the weekdays and they're saying weight gain week over week, it's like maybe we need to get a little bit tighter on the weekends. But if they're a little bit loose on the weekends, tight on the weekdays, and they're losing, you know, uh, half a pound every week, it's like, yeah, cool, keep doing what you're doing. It's working. There's no yeah. reason to tighten that up. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, um, what is it, the metabolic diet and um, this idea of a carb refeed on the weekends, that can work really well for some people yeah uh to be able to do that but not for everyone and there can be again some hormonal issues or some benefits that come from that depending yep. on the person and where they're at and what everything else is uh in their life you know yeah yeah there's a lot of things um there's a lot of there's a lot of strategies that can be used to lose body fat more effectively even like not even talking about other people even when i think about myself and strategies that i would implement with myself i always ask myself do I want to be doing this same thing in six months? And if the answer is no, I just won't do it because there's, there's some things that can occur when you try a strategy that is way different than what you want to do or what you're doing now. Um, and then transitioning back to normal, like that transition period can actually be brutal for, for someone's just like rhythm and, and metabolism. Yeah. For instance, like if someone, you know, it was just like a intuitive eater that's like fairly balanced and they're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to test my blood and I'm going to go, uh, I want, you know, 0.3, uh, ketone levels every single morning. And I want to be in ketosis, uh, Monday through Saturday. And on Sunday, I'm going to do this carb refeed where I take in 600 grams of carbs. Very enjoyable. Uh, feels good. I actually get a lot of energy from that and I'm losing a bunch of body fat. That same person does that for, 12 weeks and they like hit their goal, whatever their goal is. And they're like, this just isn't sustainable anymore. I don't want to continue to do this now for them to go back to what they used to do. That's such a shift, uh, with their bodies and, and how their body metabolizes food that they may put on a, they may put all that body fat back on by transitioning back to the way that they used to do things. So I think we always have to look at, you know, what do I like really look at what do I want to be doing, uh, down the road. And yes, I can utilize this strategy to get to my goal now, but when I go back to the thing that I'm going to be doing down the road, I'm going to go back to where I am today, right? So I think people need to think about that when they implement these uh, uh, strategies that are much different than what they're doing today. Definitely. I mean, there is going to be a time and a place for using very specific protocols that you might not intend on using forever. But those have to be implemented thinking about what happens next. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, is there negative consequences of coming out the other side? And sometimes you just don't know yeah. until you've tried it. Yeah, I would just save those for uh, medical considerations, yeah. right? Like the, the stuff that, like you said, you're not going to be doing forever. Um, what's the reason of doing it now then? Yeah. You know, if, the, if it's to get on stage or something like that, then cool, I get it. But if it's, I just want to look better. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say never, but I wouldn't do it. Um, and I think, you know, we never really talked about why the hell someone would want to lose body fat. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's something that, that could be interesting to hit on because there's people that want to lose body fat for aesthetics and there's people that want to lose body fat for health reasons. Yeah. Um, not judging either one of them, um, but I think we can get more on board with the person that wants to lose you know five percent body fat and they're sitting at 40 percent versus the person that the the guy that's at 12 percent or no the guys that that's at 10 percent and wants to get down to seven percent yeah it's like we have to have conversations and we have to understand what are the implications from going from 45 to 35 or 10 to 7 right it's like what's the point where why are we doing this um if it's hey i want to have more abs because it looks cool it's like okay cool but you also have to understand that just like we're talking about the, you know, 40% body fat person going out to 35%, there's some health implications that, 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 that come from being so lean on a day-to-day -day basis. A lean person, when you look under the hood, isn't usually a healthy person, mm -hmm. like ultra lean person. So I think people need to consider that.
and understand why the hell they want to do that. Yeah, but let's be real. A lot of those people that want to go from 40% to 35% aren't necessarily motivated by health. Mm-hmm. We might know that there are some health positives that may come from shifting shifting some body weight and uh, that there could be some good metabolic implications for them. But I know a lot of people who sit in that like 35 to 40% range who want to lose some body fat and it has nothing to do with, uh, with what their doctor sees on their blood work. It's, oh, man. Uh, I've, I have much different experiences. I've worked with a decent amount of people that have had health scares. Yeah. That like there was a heart attack. There was uh, type 2 diabetes. Um, there was something where they're like, oh, my God, I actually can't do this because I'm not going to live. Like I actually had a conversation uh, last week. Um, I was at my barber spot and uh, there was a, a barber that cuts hair next to him. And he came around and like literally during my entire haircut, this guy just wanted to talk about health and fitness. And I had noticed because I've been going to this guy for years, but I've noticed this guy next to my barber is just like shrinking. This guy was like, he, he told me he was like 310 pounds. And right now he's like 260. Wow. And it, it's just like so obvious. And this is over like a couple months. And he's just like talking to me and the story he's telling, he's like, yeah, man, like, I remember the day I was in here, I had, uh, you know, I just bought a 12 pack of Coca-Cola for the, for the shop. Uh, I had like some, some kind of chips or something like that, a box of chips. And he's like, uh, I had to go and run to the doctor. I forgot why I had to go. And he's like that same day I got diagnosed, um, with type two diabetes. I come back to the shop and he's like, I made the decision right there where it's like, I can't, because this is what the doctor told him to do. It's like, stay away from sugar, do this, do that. After the doctor had a conversation with like what his day to day looks like, he came back and he like, uh, he told my barber, he's like, Hey man, have that. I'm not touching that stuff anymore. I'm gonna start going to the gym twice a week. I'm doing this. And the guy lost like 50 pounds in like two months because of that health scare. And all he did was, and we, we hear this story a lot, right? But all he did was he stopped drinking Coca-Cola. He stayed away from sugars and he moved his body twice a week, like intentional movement in the gym twice a week. But anyway, he was like having this conversation with me of like, yeah, I'm kind of in this holding pattern right now. And we had a, a pretty long conversation as I was, as I was getting my haircut. But um, I, I hear that a lot where it's like someone didn't realize that being that over fat was a big deal until their doctor said, hey, now you have this disease, right? Like you have a metabolic disease and you're, this is going to affect your quality of life and it might affect how long you live. Um, so I think a lot of like obese, over fat people, uh, they come to that realization eventually if they're going to see a doctor and having conversations with people. Um, so yeah, my experiences have just have been different on yeah. the over fat person. Yeah. I, uh, and I think maybe it's, uh, exposure to a lot of middle-aged women, uh, who, are probably not like they're not in that obese category but they're sitting in that like somewhere in that 30 to 35 percent range yeah. they could do with shedding a few pounds for some health reasons mm-hmm. but there's no like motivation connected to health it's literally wanting to look a certain way yeah, yeah. and i think I part of that. that's generational as well yeah. um like might maybe times are changing a little bit and people are starting to put more value on uh, on health but but yeah, i think a coach could uh I think a, a coach, a coach's job is to educate that person. Cause we're talking about people that end up in gyms right now, yeah. right. Or they end up hiring a coach that's listening. Um, it's that coach's job to educate that person on, yes, you, you know, you probably want to lose 50 pounds because you don't like the way you look in the mirror, but I just, you know, you just jumped off of this in body 570 and it gives us this visceral fat, uh, score and yours is at nine, right? Like, now let's have some education on what that means, what visceral fat is, what that can lead to. Um, and if that person came in and they did not give a shit at all about health and that coach educates them on what that visceral fat number means and what that could lead to, uh, they probably still want to lose 50 pounds for aesthetic purposes, but now they're probably starting to think about their health and their well-being. Yeah, gosh, a lot of the people I'm talking about are they're not coming to a fitness coach, mm. um, or at least they're not sticking one with one. They're uh, they're probably going to a medical weight loss clinic yeah. or drinking Shakeology and hoping that that's their answer. That's one way to get in a caloric deficit. It definitely is. <laughs> it's pretty miserable though. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what's in those things. Yeah, it's it's not good. Mm. Not great. 
but yeah, I think uh, understanding why someone wants to lose body fat is uh, is that that that's where you start. I yeah. know we didn't start with that, but that's where you have to start, and um, you have to understand. You know, are they going to be compliant to the behaviors that you lay out? Yeah. Based on what their reason and purpose is behind wanting to to get to that outcome, and that goes with that goes for everything that we'll talk about. Yeah, because life gets challenging, right? Things aren't always easy. It's not always like super easy to make the decision to have the lean protein and the broccoli for lunch. Uh, sometimes it's easier to eat the you know fun food that was brought into work um, by your coworker. But if you're connected to the reason why you're doing what you're doing, it becomes easier in those moments to stick with the behaviors that you want to uh, and that you know are connected to your goals. So coaches always coming back to that and reminding their clients or or at least helping their clients remember what their motivations are um, and why they want to lose that weight. I think that's uh, way, way, way more powerful than than just like hoping willpower will work for you. Yeah. And and, uh, the way people feel about themselves, uh, is a big deal as well. Um, you know, people having, you know, self-hate versus self-love. Um, there's a lot of success that can come along with just not not being like, oh, you know, I love myself no matter what, and I'm not going to make a change even if that change is, is good for me because I love myself the way I am. I'm not saying that, but that self-hate is, uh, is, is dangerous, right? Especially when we start talking about weight loss and losing body fat, and all of that, because if you hate yourself on a day by day basis, you're going to get into these ruts where you're just like, fuck it. I'm 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 not going to be successful in this venture. Um, I, I don't know why I even try. I'm just going to sit down and just like punish myself because I don't like myself and I'm going to eat all the shit that I'm not supposed to eat, quote unquote. Right. Versus the person that has like that, that high amount of self-love where they're just like, you know, I'm doing this for this reason. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to where I'm going and the outcome, but I have to be okay with where I am today, right? I have to be okay with myself and I have to pat myself on the, on the back every night where, you know, I, I turned the lights off and it was a successful day that lead that could lead me closer to my goals. So I think understanding where someone sits there is, is important as well. Yeah. Gosh, there's certainly like that moment of joy that can come from reaching a goal and from like this big, you know, lofty endpoint. Uh, it can feel really good for a moment to hit that. But if you're not having these little moments of success and feeling good about the process along the way, uh, I was just listening to a book this morning and they were talking about exactly that, mm. that uh, if someone gets a million dollars one year, but then over the next nine years makes zero dollars, they are going to be less happy, fulfilled, whatever word you want to use than the person that makes a hundred thousand dollars over the course of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's the same, you know, the same notion with any fitness goal. If we're only focused on this end thing and thinking that that like one big payoff is going to, you know, be what makes our life, then no one became a different, happier person just because they lost 20 pounds, yeah. right? It's never yeah. just that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the other little things that, that bring you happiness along the way. Yep. Should we talk about lean mass? Or do you want to say more about fat loss? No, let's uh, let's move on. I think we hit everything. Yeah. Emma, did we miss anything? Emma, Emma did this. She's like, no, you're good. Yeah. Just move, move on. Yeah. <laughs> Get on with it, guys. <laughs> you're dragging. <laughs> so um, lean mass, I mean, often this is kind of same side of the coin. Like you often get people that come in, they'll wanna, they want to improve their body composition. They want to lose some body fat. They also want to put, put lean mass on at the same time. I'm throwing this one at you, Carl. Can you do both at the same time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't push that on people because usually it happens naturally. Um, and usually it happens to people that don't have a lot of experience in, uh, you know, let's call it dieting and exercising. Um, so when we start talking about like adaptation, they, they probably don't have a vast experience of, of, uh, muscle, muscle growth adaptation that has occurred in, in the past with them, or they have experience and they took this big long break like years and years and years and they got back into it because there's like some time stamping stuff that that happens with muscle building as well where it's it is like riding a bike if you you know put on this much muscle mass and you got really fat (laughs) and then you you lost all of it because you're not training when you start training again you can actually build that muscle mass and lose body fat at the same time but for most people um it's not possible for most people. Yeah, Yeah. no, I just think important place to start the conversation. And we get that question a Mm -hmm. lot. People ask it all the time. Uh, So 
I think we're not talking about that total beginner who could potentially do both at the same time in this, yeah, that's too this easy. conversation. Yeah, it yeah. is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very, very easy to uh, lose body fat and put muscle yeah. muscle mass on someone that just hasn't done any of the things that you're giving them now, yeah. right? Or that just has such a shitty lifestyle, kind of like the guy I was telling about with the sugar, where it's just like, yeah, yeah, they're just going to see a lot of results because their their lifestyle is so bad yeah. right now. Is there one primary uh, behavior that you think is in or goal, habit, whatever you want to call it, that is uh, important for people who want to gain lean mass? We said caloric deficit um, consistently for the fat loss person. So what is it for lean mass? Um, there's a couple. I wouldn't say there's one main, but the, yeah, I guess the main would be uh, maintaining a caloric surplus. Yep. <laughs> And so many, it's, it's obvious, right? When you lay that out to someone, it's like, you have to eat enough food because if you're in a deficit, this is what's happening inside of the muscle tissue. And you explain that and they're like, oh, I get it, but I don't want to get fat. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to eat too much. Right. So, um, I've worked with a lot of males that have had the goal of, uh, putting on more muscle mass. And, you know, when you, when you have the conversation of like, you know, Hey, like send me over some food logs. I just want to see what you're, what you're eating. I know what we're doing for training, but I just want to make sure that we can actually recover from that training and you're in a surplus still. They send it over and they're at like, you know, they have a BMR of like 2000 and they're eating 2,400 calories. And you're just like, yeah, we need to, we need to move that North. And you know, the first thing that comes out of a lot of their mouths is, well, I don't want to put body fat on, man. I told you I wanted to gain muscle mass. And it's just like, okay, let's, let's sit down and have a lesson. Um, so yeah, you just need to uh, be in a caloric surplus. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I've had that conversation more than a few times uh, with more than a few guys also. Uh, what um, So you hear these like words thrown around of, uh, you know, a clean versus a dirty bulk. What's the... <laughs> <laughs> It sounded like a like a sexual thing. It kind of did, a and I don't know. It sounded dirty. Bulk. It came so it was so wrong coming out of my mouth. Like those are not terms that I use. That is not uh, like my fitness language. But I, I hear that stuff yeah, going yeah. around on social media, um, and in the in the gym bro world. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's just uh, you know if we if we look at because we're not talking about the term bulking. We're just saying we want to put on muscle mass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't I don't really use that term. I don't know why I haven't thought about it too much, but yeah. Um so being in a caloric surplus, uh clean versus dirty. Uh dirty <laughs> dirty would be we'll, talk, uh, well, dirty would be um yeah, you're just you're just eating a bunch of junk calories to for for the sake of eating calories, but we always have to look at um the efficiency of the calories that we eat. Yep. Right? So, you know, we can sit down and eat a bunch of fast food. Right. And those calories are calories. But what's happening in the digestive process with those things? And do we have to now go from 3000 to 3500 calories to now meet our micronutrient needs as well? So, um, yeah, look at efficiency of calories. I think that's really important. And you see this you see this often with uh, people that coin themselves hard gainers. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked with, with some individuals that are like, I can't put weight on to save my life. And you look at what they eat and all they're eating is like junk food. And you're just like, your calories just aren't very efficient. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, what the hell does that mean? It's just like your calories are they're they're there's, there's, there's carbohydrates. Sometimes there's fats in there, but they're not like, they're not efficient calories. They're not coming with any micronutrients to, you know, build that base that you need. And at first they don't understand it. And then it's like, okay, let's do this. Let's stay at the same amount of calories. Let's change this processed junk food to let's just say whole foods. Right. And you lay out the definition of whole foods and you give them some ideas and then they do that and they're eating the same amount of calories. And they're just like, I feel so full all the time. Uh, they start putting on some weight. Um, muscle starts to come along because the calories that they're eating are just more efficient. So clean versus dirty, I guess would just be um, eating higher quality foods on the clean side and dirty, not, not even higher quality. Let me not say that eating more micronutrient dense foods on the clean side. And then on the dirty side, you're just getting in calories. Yeah. I, um, it's a little, it's challenging on the other side as well. Cause, uh, I have a client he's, he might be listening to this right now. Um, uh, but, and, and he's heard this from me before, but he loves veggies, like mm-hmm. loves fruit and veggies and just like goes to town every single meal and has a huge value on quality food and getting micros in, which is 
great. Like that's really, really awesome stuff. But when someone's trying to eat 3,500 calories and they're eating like a pound of broccoli at lunch, that can make it really, really tough mm-hmm. to uh, tough on the digestive tract for one. Like it's a lot of fiber throughout a day yep. and just the volume of food to then get in the like caloric density that you need can be really challenging. So it's finding that balance between yeah. getting micros, mm-hmm. but also making sure that someone is getting foods that are calorically dense enough. Mm-hmm. So they're not like just constantly eating, constantly feeling full, having digestive upset and then actually not like absorbing those nutrients because yep. they're shitting them all out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. What, what's, what's the reason why he thinks he needs to get that much volume in bias in, in the fitness industry around like quality food and paleo diet and things like that. I think it's just, uh, we, we develop, uh, these ideas and values around nutrition and we think that, you know, eating oatmeal is bad or sugar is bad for us or whatever it might be. And that's not necessarily stuff he feels, Mm -hmm. but I've seen things like that develop in myself uh, over the years. And I've observed that in a lot of people where they just think certain foods are bad Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, someone put that rubber stamp on them. And so because he has such high value on eating highly, you know, nutrient dense foods, because eat the rainbow guys yeah, yeah. it's hard for him to flip the switch sometimes and uh sometimes go for foods that may be slightly less micronutrient dense but like have more macros in them yeah yeah i think for someone like that i think that's a better bias that to have than the opposite side where it's like eat a bunch of junk and totally what, what we eat doesn't <laughs> matter but for someone like that that's probably someone that wants to be locked in right or someone that wants to um you know whatever they can control, they want those things to be as optimal as possible. So for that person, I would just look under the hood and be like, Hey, go get some blood work done. Right. And let's see what your body actually needs. Cause you know, he might, he might get some blood work done and see some things or, Oh man, I'm actually overdoing it in some places. And then like, you, you know, you guys have a conversation on like, you know, what are some negative effects of overdoing it? Um, and that's actually not optimal, you know, that might actually change those behaviors. And he's like, okay, I need to calm down on this. Or if there's some digestive things that are happening or distress or, or so, and so on and so forth. I mean, there could be some good conversation around, Hey, you need to actually dial it back a little bit because of these reasons. I think people just need tangible reasons why they should or shouldn't do anything, which, which I'm like that as well. Totally. That could be a good, uh, little use of inside tracker right there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a flip side, right? Because with fat loss, oftentimes you're trying to get people to eat foods that are higher in volume. So they have satiety and they don't feel like they're eating air all day Mm -hmm. um, because they are in a deficit. And then when someone is eating in a caloric surplus, if that's challenging for them, how can we get foods that are more calorically dense in? So you don't feel like you're just shoveling food down all day. Yeah. So I think you just uh, educate them on what more calorically dense foods are, right? So if it's that guy and he's like, I can't, I can't do this. You're like, Hey man, you're eating, you know, 500 grams of broccoli at every meal. Those, that is not a calorically dense meal. Let's bring that down to 50, right? Let's cook it. Let's put some butter on it. We'll give it some better flavor. You know what I mean? Like let's, let's just have some conversations on how we can eat the exact same way, but how we can alter some things to put more calories in those meals. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah. Hopefully he listened to this and uh, <laughs> he's taken that on board. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and maintaining a, a caloric surplus, obviously eating enough calories is number yeah. one. Um, and then strategies around that. And then number two would be ensuring that the people are digesting all of those calories effectively. Yeah. Um, so ideas that we talk about are, you know, eating, uh, sorry, chewing, chewing enough, right? Yep. Like chewing your food until it's mush. Um eating in a relaxed state, mm-hmm. um, and appreciating the digestive process. Yeah. And I know that's tough for a lot of us, uh, depending on what we're doing on a day by day basis. Um, so for some client, it might be, you know, appreciate the digestive process in one of your meals. Yeah. And when they're like, what the hell is the digestive process? It's like, I want you to actually prepare your food. I want you to smell it. I want you to salivate. I want you to, you know, watch it cook. I want you to plate it. I want you to sit down. I want you to be in a really restful state. I want you to chew it. I want you to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You go through that entire digestive process. And then after you're done, I want you to move your body a little bit in whatever yeah. way feels right for you to move your body. Like do that with one meal per day. Um, optimally, we'd be doing it with every meal, but mm-hmm. we just can't, right? Like, you know, we bring food places, we put it in microwaves. Like we're taking little shortcuts here because we have to. Um, I think it's good to to go through that entire process at least one time per day. Lunch has been a huge, uh, like 
evaluating of that for me uh, because often, and I'm sure a lot of clients experience this, like you finish your morning of work, you're hungry, and you're also thinking about, I have this one hour or this 45 minutes, whatever it is to get my food in, I want to do it as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I used to have almost like, hot like racing palpitation moment where I'd like walk downstairs and try to get my food hot as fast as possible which (laughs) sounds so silly but it was very stressful for me if I had to like chop anything extra Mm -hmm. or take any extra steps to get my food on the table and into my mouth and I thought about that and how stressed I was getting about heating up my food and how like waiting for those like seconds to tick by was really like just grating (laughs) on my like nervous system And just like laughed at myself and was like, I just need to like use these five minutes while I'm preparing my food to number one, smell, like just appreciate the meal that is Mm -hmm. to come and not put myself in this like fight or flight scenario where my body is not going to be ready to eat and absorb anything at all. So that like heating process now, I really try to like relax, take some deep breaths, Uh, sitting down to eat. I have, I do it sometimes here. I know I have my phone out, but if I'm at home, I do not look at my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing any like slacking uh, while I'm eating my lunch. And then we have our post-lunch walk. Yeah. So gosh, that's, it's really easy just to get like carried away by the stress yeah. of getting to the next thing. Yeah. 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 That's a, gosh, I think we talked about it last week, but that's, yeah, we did because we had to, we had to get off the podcast because yeah. we had lunch, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really honor those meal times. I think those are, I just really enjoy eating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I don't want to ever be in like a crunch where I have to like shovel my food down just because yeah. I don't feel good when I do that. So um, I'm losing resiliency as yeah. we optimize. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think we, uh, <laughs> that's the problem, right? <laughs> Whenever one little thing gets out of whack for us, uh, you just, you, you know how good it feels to, yeah. be, uh, to be optimized and you mm-hmm. don't want to get away from that. Another? Yeah, we're, we're going on, we're going to Florida tomorrow and uh, we're going for a little over a week and yeah, that's the type of stuff that goes through my head. I'm just like, you know, my meals, my meal schedules, how do I keep those exactly yeah. where they are? How do I keep my morning routine exactly mm-hmm. where it is? Um, you know, how do I incorporate exercise in the way that I want to incorporate exercise? Yeah. How do I get out and like move? And there'll be plenty of that just because we'll be on a beach and stuff like that. But just thinking about that doesn't stress me out at all, but it's a consideration. I'm like, tonight I'll have to sit down and like plan that out. It's like, okay, this time I'm going to, you know, probably drop into some, some gym over there. Um, we don't have any OPEX gyms where we're going. Mm. That sucks, but I'll find a gym. We'll, we'll, I'll drop in there before anyone wakes up at like, you know, five 30 in the morning or something like that. But thinking about those things and rhythm is always a consideration. Totally. It's hilarious. You said that because just this morning I found a gym in La Jolla when we're there uh, <laughs> last week of June that I can drop into and, Make sure I got a little morning exercise in. Feels yeah, so there's good. a there's no shortage in gyms in San Diego. No, but there's a lot a sh- of them are sh- like closed and like masky and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. like not letting visitors in right now. Masky, huh? California's real, <laughs> real, real tight right now. Still, there's a there's a shortage of gyms and we're we're staying in Vero Beach, so there's a there's not a bunch of gyms over there. Just take a couple kettlebells with you on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worth. I think it might be cheaper to just buy them. Probably so. We're going to my father-in-law's house. Okay. So anything we buy, we just keep there. Um, one last uh, kind of digestion-y piece consideration for someone that wants to gain lean mass is, gosh, I think thinking about like any food sensitivities and intolerances mm-hmm. and like, is there any digestive distress that's going on that isn't just from like eating KFC or too much broccoli? Um and maybe or maybe not. This is within the scope. Sorry, I think it's so funny. You said KFC. I'm like, where, where did that go? Are, <laughs> Didn't you are, say are, like fried chicken? Did I say that? You said something about like eating, maybe it was a hamburger. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm just like, do they have KFC in Australia? <laughs> we do actually. My <laughs> nana and my papa used to take me to KFC. And I, I really liked the mashed potatoes with gravy when I was a kid. All right. Which sounds disgusting now there I think about it. And Mountain Dew. <laughs> I didn't coin you as a KFC and Mountain Dew person. I think I stopped being a KFC and Mountain Dew person when I was about nine years old. But when I was okay. very young, I was into that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Gross to think about now. All right. Sorry. I cut you off. Yes. Uh, but no, thinking about is there potentially any other underlying issues that could be going on? Mm-hmm. Is um, is someone, you know, having to run to the bathroom after they're eating because 
dairy is a part of their diet right now and that doesn't sit right with them. So uh, I have had experiences with clients where we have, you know, dialed that stuff in, played with some elimination protocols for a while and just like realized that coffee with breakfast or dairy at lunchtime just doesn't sit right. Let's pull those things out. So you're actually getting what you need from your food. Absolutely. Yep. And I think uh, last thing that we need to consider is um, all of the other lifestyle things that uh, influence recovery yeah. that we talked about with uh, fat loss as well. Yep. Um, and for this goal and building muscle mass, recovery is extremely important, mm-hmm. right? Someone can get lean uh, and sleep. Well, let me be careful and say this. Someone can get lean and sleep four hours a night. Like that's that's possible. Yeah, cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one's putting a bunch of muscle mass on sleeping three hours, four hours a night. Like that's extremely difficult when yeah. we think about the process of, uh, you know, muscle muscle being damaged and muscle building, and when we start to get up there in age, you know, for most people it's over thirty years old. Um, we have to start. I'm not there yet. Who who are you point? <laughs> we have to start thinking about, um, you know, we're 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 on the other end, right? We're we're going downhill uh, when it comes to potential of of putting on muscle naturally. So. Um, yeah, just thinking about those other lifestyle pieces that affect recoverability are important. Yeah. Uh, interesting opportunity to, uh, do a little blood work there as well, uh, Mm -hmm. and look at, you know, testosterone levels in males and especially as guys get over the hump, 30 years old and, uh, get over the hump. (laughs) All decline. (laughs) Maybe, literally. Uh, just, just making sure there's nothing going on under yeah, the hood. For sure. That might not be where you start. Um, perhaps that's something that the client has knowledge around, but chances are they don't. Mm-hmm. But if someone is really having a hard time and you feel like everything's dialed in <laughs> <laughs> or not having a hard time, <laughs> I should, uh, I should say if they yeah. are not yep. living the four H's of, uh, yep. happy, hungry, horny, and healthy. Yeah, yeah, those are the four H's. Yeah, yeah. Then, uh, then perhaps it's time to get some blood work. Yeah, send them out to the doctor. Testosterone's important. It is. Um, yes, I'll leave it there. Testosterone's important. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, cortisol, testosterone, all that stuff, and just seeing where we're at. Yeah. Yep. So that is muscle gain. That is muscle gain. The third consideration, like the third thing that people walk into the gym or you know they reach out online for their remote coach, whatever it might be, um, that probably walking into the gym though this person Mm -hmm. they want to feel good yeah they feel their energy sucks they have a slump in the afternoon they're you know not sleeping great they're stressed out all the time their joints kind of ache they don't feel like they can you know go out and hike on the weekends Uh, they just want to be able to do all of that stuff and have a good life yeah this is this is extremely individualized yeah right like we just have to look at the the blgs yeah and we have to assess each one of those with every person that walks in and the goal there is to identify why the hell does this person not feel good um you know are is their sleep is their sleep not optimized um is their rhythm really bad right when you ask them like what does a day look like for you um if if you ask them that for five straight days does that is there are there any consistencies um, there, right? Do they have good rhythm? And even if someone has good rhythm, are there good behaviors that are inside of that, that rhythm? So you could do bad things every single day, quote unquote. So you have to change those behaviors in there. Um, you look at hydration levels, you look at digestion, um, so on and so forth. So yeah, you just look at, um, just BLGs and it's like, where can we optimize here? Yeah. Well, oftentimes, gosh, that person comes in and they're not optimized in any area. Like literally everything from sleep to hydration to food hygiene to rhythm to digestion, like all of these pieces could be improved in some way. And it's very easy to say, these are the BLGs, go do them mm-hmm. and just like throw all eight or however many it is at them. But uh, that's not seven, seven, seven. I feel like they used to be eight. Yeah, they did. Did used to be, yeah. yeah, we condensed it down yeah, a little bit. It. That's yeah. confusing. <laughs> Don't change these things on me. Um, but no, it's easy to throw all seven at them and mm-hmm. say, like, go for it. This is what a healthy lifestyle looks like. But that's not realistic for most people. It's yep. not going to end up at the good, good result. I know when I'm like triaging, I typically figure out like what's going to be easiest for this person to have success in first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if sleep is like just off limits because they have like a six month old and and a two year old and they just 
like they're just sleeping bad right now and that's going to be really hard for them to fix but hydration is something that they're aware of and that they know you know if I do this this and this I can make it happen uh then I'm going to work on that first and sleep might be something you address later on when it becomes uh more realistic and some of the initial areas are looked after yep I agree yeah I think it's uh that triage piece is really important in understanding uh, what are the questions that you even ask to triage these things? Uh, that's important as well. Um, and obviously we lay that out in our education and, and intake and initial consultation. Uh, but those, that's where you identify where you, where, where there's holes and through conversation, like you said, that's also where you identify what is that lowest hanging fruit and what can you actually attack right now? Uh, whether that's, you know, are they capable of doing these things right now? I.e., sleeps four hours, but I have to breastfeed, and I have a two-year-old as well. Um, you're not breastfeeding the two-year-old. No Some judgment. Might no be. judgment. You're not breastfeeding the two-year-old, but you have a six-month-old and a two-year-old, so it's just like just getting at you from yeah. both sides. Um, you know, that's that's there, but that's not low-hanging fruit because you can't really address that right now. But you did identify that they're drinking, you know, one quarter and ounces their body weight per day and, and water. And you're like, okay, that's something that is a low hanging fruit. Let me lay out a strategy and how you can incorporate, you know, better hydration in your day. And it's like, you, you might be attacking hydration for four weeks. Right. Yeah. And it's like, boom, how do you feel? You know, we've consistently gotten to, you know, 70 ounces from, you know, 40. It's like, do you feel any better? Like, yeah, like I, I think I feel a little bit better. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's continue to do that. And now we're going to attack this other thing that is like the next lowest hanging fruit. And then, yeah, I think it's just assessing what you said, triaging, identifying what they're capable of doing, and then laying out the plan. Yeah. And like with this, uh, this area, this feel good area, the like word or theme or habit that really jumps out to me is just consistency mm -hmm. across all of those pieces. Because our body loves consistent inputs. Um, we thrive when we have that routine in all of those areas. Uh, it lets us be more resilient and handle the inevitable unpredictability of life that gets thrown at us. So when we do have all of those things in order, you know, that stressful deadline or that sick kid just become easier to handle. So how can we shore this person up to create consistency in all of the BLGs and uh, make sure that they can carry that through? That's, that's what jumps out to me. Yep. Yeah, have a system, have a system in, in assessing and uh, have a system in delivering. Yes. Um, shout out to us, CCP and Coach RX, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's, those are the problems we're trying to solve. We talked about that and, uh, you know, the challenge up top with uh, how do we put lifestyle in front of exercise and uh, there has to be a way to do it that's very low barrier for both sides. Definitely. Guys, as always, thank you for listening. Please make sure you like and subscribe. Leave us a review. That stuff really helps out. Uh, we'll see you next week. See ya.